May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Dorothy Sayers was a 20th century English playwright and author, part of the whole C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien thing. And she said that the most astonishing line in the Apostles' Creed, which is the confession of faith used in baptism, is the line, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Not he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, not on the third day he rose again and ascended into heaven, but suffered under Pontius Pilate. Why is that so astonishing? Several religions, she says, have incarnate gods. Several religions have slain and resurrected gods. But Jesus is the only God with a date in history. And therefore, every day, millions of people all over the world recite the name of this relatively undistinguished Roman bureaucrat. Christianity is so particular, it's weird. I have another candidate for the strangest line in the Apostles' Creed. It's near the end. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. I believe in the church. It's grammatically awkward. Surely we don't believe in the church like we believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what are we saying? At least what are we professing? I think we're professing something like, I believe the church. The church is a community that I can trust. We can trust God because God has no agenda for us that is not for our good. And likewise, the creed wants us to say, we can trust the church because of the kind of community it is. Peter mentioned it's the Feast of All Saints. It's the Sunday in the church year that we honor those Christians who have gone before us, and we think about what it is that holds this whole thing together, all people of faith across space and time. It's a day about the church and about the communion of saints. And so what I want to try and do, a little different, is not so much reflect on the passages that were assigned for today, but to try and speak to this, the larger theme about the church and the communion of saints. And I want to say three things. I want to say something about humility, something about gift, and something about identity. And my hope uh, is that what I try and say will help, help you trust the church. I could paint a picture of this community that you can trust. All right, humility, first point. Not thinking too highly about ourselves, not putting too much stock in our ideas or theories or concepts about the church. I don't think Christians are any less interesting than when we're talking and theorizing about ourselves. We have far more important things to do, far more important ways to speak to actual human concerns. 
One writer points out, no one stays up late at night anxious about their ideas about the church. It's a secondary value. And there's also something dangerous about conceptualizing or theorizing too much. You know that uh, that Talking Heads song, Road to Nowhere? That's like ecclesiology in a nutshell. (laughs) What happens when we theorize too much, conceptualize too much, is we tend to forget, and I think this is an important point, that the church, actual churches, do not exist in a sphere somehow distinct from real life. Christians, when they gather together, are just as subject to what people used to call original sin from the self-interest and self-deception that's characteristic of everyone. It's not as if the moment we park outside the Phillips Event Center, we become more kind, generous, compassionate people. And that's okay. But my guess is that a lot of our ambivalence about the church is because we forgot and then were painfully reminded that we do not exist in a sphere somehow distinct from real life. Humility. How does this relate to trust? I'll tell you how. We tend to not trust people who are fascinated with themselves, who talk a lot about themselves, who have ideas about themselves belied by actual experience. So let's not take ourselves too seriously, and let's remember that it's the God who inhabits and enlivens and inspires us that makes the church interesting. Humility, gift. The New Testament describes the church in a way that I think is pretty different from how a lot of us consider and experience it. It's a fluid, Holy Spirit-inspired movement of people that are gathered together around an experience of God. Obviously, there's organization and administration, but that's, that's not central. And what I want to say is central is this notion of gift. That when we're at our best, communities of faith are places where people exercise gifts that contribute to its common life. So to, um, to believe in the church, to trust the church, is to believe and trust in the unique gifts of the people that God has given us to live with. The uh, image that's used a lot in the Bible to talk about the church is the body, you know, the body of Christ. And that image was lifted from the ancient world. I think it was Aristotle who first described society in that kind of way. But what's interesting is the New Testament, it emphasizes not so much the functionality of the body, you know, like the arms need legs, but giftedness, universal giftedness. We are a people where every single one of us has something to give, where each one of us has something to contribute. We all have a a role to play. And this is true 
not because of how amazing we all are, but because we find ourselves in this economy of the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit is is present among us, giving a multiplicity of gifts, a multiplicity of relationships with God. And out of that diversity comes different ways of making God's work real for each other, different ways of, of drawing out our best selves. Let me try and illustrate this in a couple ways. In, uh, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, there's this long, complicated discussion about money, about financial giving. And Paul, who wrote 2 Corinthians, is dealing with disparity of wealth in the church. Some people have a lot of money. A lot of people don't have any money. How do you handle that pastorally? Well, what he says to the people who have a lot of money is that they should give out of their abundance, out of their surplus to meet the needs, meet deficits. But what's interesting and what's worth us thinking about is that Paul encourages people to do that, not simply to relieve their suffering or meet the needs, but because there very well might come a day when the people who have a lot now will be in need. And the people who receive now could one day have the capacity to give. Paul's vision, and in some ways his basic ethic for life in community, is this idea that God gives gifts to each one of us, and we release them to others in the hopes that they will become givers in return. You know, it's the idea that we, as a community, are contributing to something greater than ourselves. We're depending upon each other, and we're empowering and ennobling the people that we sit next to on Sundays. Like, I mean, what I'm, what I'm trying to say here is to give you a, an imagination or a frame of mind to take seriously that that's what God gives you and what you can contribute to our life together as a community. Maybe it's the gift of, of intercessory prayer or the gift of an encouraging word, the gift of presence, the gift of service, the gift of giving. What I'm asking from you is that you would take seriously the way God has graced you and provided for you, and that you would release those gifts into the swirl that is Church of the Cross. I, um, an illustration from the Bible, another illustration, or another way of thinking about this. Last weekend, I was on a retreat with a group of people uh, that are needing over the next 12 months to think about and work towards spiritual formation. And we had one of those conversations about values, like how do we care for each other? How do we want to think about caring for each other over the next 12 months? And someone in the, in the group came up with a phrase that I think crystallizes what this cohort is about, but also what our life together as a church is about. He said, uh, we are here to contend for one another's freedom. We're here to contend for each other's freedom. 
we're going to use our energy, our talents, our strengths, our skills to help release the gifts of others. We're going to contend for each other's freedom. Whenever you're in traditions like ours or churches like ours, there's this danger of clericalism. And if, even if you don't know what that word means, I promise you the danger lurks. <laughs> it's this idea that, you know, the people who wear the collars do the stuff. And so what I'm really trying to say in this second point is that Church of the Cross needs you, needs your gifts, needs what you and you alone can contribute to our life together. And frankly, by not doing that, by denying people your gifts, you're denying them the opportunity to grow into who they can be in the Lord. Contend for each other's freedom. Use your gifts to release the gifts of others. Humility, gifts, third and final point, identity. I believe in the church, we say. I believe in the communion of saints. What does that mean? Well, one scholar I was reading pointed out that in the original language, the phrase communion of saints can mean either the sharing between holy people or the sharing of holy things, or maybe both. Let's talk about holy people or saints. I want to encourage you not to think of that designation, holy, as a verdict on a spectacularly good life. Holiness is a gift. You are holy because you've been adopted by a holy God and pressed into his service. You can grow in holiness. You can get used to that identity. But in a certain sense, you're holy, whether you like it or not. And so the communion of saints, the, the sharing between holy people, is not a club for the spiritually gifted. It's simply the relationship that holds together people who've been adopted by God, people who address God in prayer as Father. Now, I, don't, I don't know if this is actually right, but I tend to think of the communion of saints as something that happens when we gather together and make visible in words and deeds who we are. Like a very top of mind example, yesterday, a group of us from the prayer team met together. We read a psalm. We talked about what's going on in our lives. We prayed for each other. Very simple, but very beautiful and heartening and encouraging. I think that is the communion of saints. It's making visible in word and deed who we are. Another avenue for that is the two things that Jesus told us to do. The night before he died, he told us to repeat the meal of bread and wine that he shared with his friends 
because somehow he would be in the middle of them, feeding them spiritually as they remembered him in that way. And then after his resurrection, Jesus told his friends to baptize all of creation. And we're going to do both today. Uh, Peter mentioned Sophie and Anya are going to be baptized. They're going to go beneath the surface of the love of God and reappear as different people. Out of that watery chaos comes a new world, you know, like in Genesis 1. And what baptism does is it makes clear in a profound way what we're about. We are a place, the church is a place where people are brought into new life through a new relationship with God and each other. Baptism and Holy Communion, we do that one every week. And if you think about Jesus, what he did while he walked this earth was, one of the things he did, was spend an inordinate amount of time sharing meals with unlikely people. And that's what we do. We gather together to eat and drink with Jesus, and we invite everyone to enjoy fellowship with him in this way. Baptism and communion, they're, they're called sacraments. But they're sacraments of identity, practices in which the, the sharing of holy things between holy people comes to light. And we see what the church is all about. So do you... Do you believe the church? Do you trust the church and what God does here? It's the kind of community that depends on each other, that draws out the best of each other and clings to the holy and ordinary ways which showcase who we really are. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.